The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Ever since I was born, I've been trained to serve you. Yes, I know this, but I would like to know about you. What do you like to do? Whatever you like. <laughs> what kind of music do you like? Whatever kind of music you like. Look, I know what I like. And I know you know what I like because you were trained to know what I like. But I would like to know what you like. For instance, do you have a favorite food? Yes. Good! What is your favorite food? Whatever food you like. This is impossible. Listen, from this moment on, I command you not to obey me. No. Are you saying that no matter what I tell you to do, you will do? Yes, Your Highness. Anything I say you do? Yes, Your Highness. Bark like a dog. Arf! 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 A big arf. dog. Woof! 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 Hop on one leg. Woof! 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 Make a noise like an orangutan. Ah, I see the two of you are getting along. One of the criticisms of certain pieces of art is the concept of gender bias, where most depictions of interpersonal relationships, consciously or not, relegate women into strictly defined roles of femininity. Even though half of the planet's population is female, it's the male characters whose stories are told and whose actions influence those stories. Female characters are either objects of support, conquest, or window dressing. And in stories where women are protagonists, their stories are about their relationships, or lack thereof, with men. On this episode of ARC, I'm going to go over some of the ways female characters in arts and entertainment have been changing over the years, and whether or not the criticisms of gender bias in their portrayals are warranted to their current degree. This is ARC. God bless television. To the movies. To good movies. To every possible kind. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Is that a hair gel? <coughs> Loud noises! There's no crying in baseball! That's not even a word! Game over, man. Game over. I'll be back. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! These are their stories. From now on, I order you watch more television than ever before. Hey everyone and welcome to Arts Review and Commentary. I'm your host, Omar Latiri, and I'd like to thank everyone who downloaded and listened to the first annual Academy Awards bonus episode. In addition to extended content, watch out for some video that ARC will post on our upcoming YouTube channel. A special thanks to Andrew Langer and John Pop of the Langer Popcast for the shout-out on their second episode. Welcome to the Realm Network, gentlemen. As always, this episode is brought to you by ARC's Amazon page. Clicking on the Amazon button at artsreviewandcommentary.com is a great way to help out the show and the Realm Network. Unless somebody has got a better idea, we'll proceed with Dallas's plan. What? And end up like the others? <laughs> no, you're out of your mind. You got a better idea? Yes. I say that we abandon the ship. We get the shuttle and just get the hell out of here. We take our chances and just hope that somebody Lambert. picks us up. 
The shuttle won't take four. <laughs> well, then why don't we draw straws? I'm not going in these drawers. I'm for killing that goddamn thing right now. Okay. That scene from Alien was referenced in the first mention of the Bechdel test. What's the Bechdel test, you ask? Well, back in 1985, inspired by her friend Liz Wallace, feminist cartoonist Alison Bechdel, in her comic strip Dykes to Watch Out For, posed a rule that a character in that strip would follow with regards to watching a movie. This character would only watch a movie if it satisfied three requirements. One, it had to have at least two women. Two, they had to talk to each other. And three, their conversation had to be about something besides a man. Seems pretty simple, right? But in the abundance of artistic works available, a depressingly few pieces actually pass this ostensibly easy test. Now, this test was originally meant as a joke. But feminist critics of popular culture have used these three parameters as an official gauge of whether or not a piece of work exhibits gender bias. Is that fair? Let's take that last rule about a conversation not being about a man. Taken literally, the rule could mean about any male figure, thereby erasing important figures in history, politics, and especially family. Taking that last rule to its extreme is unrealistic. But then, life itself wouldn't really pass the Bechdel test, now would it? So, how do we write roles for women that aren't defined by men? Well, first, we need to know how women talk to each other apart from men. To get some answers, I spoke with Audrey Cephaly, an award-winning playwright in the D.C. area, about her thoughts related to women and their representation in popular entertainment. What do women talk about when there aren't men around? We talk about men. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about that dress you were thinking of buying, and does it go with those shoes? We talk about... um, your mom that was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, we talk about that crazy bitch at work. Uh, we talk about um, being really unhappy in my marriage. We talk about wanting to um, uh, get our 14-year-old into that um magnet program over at the other high school um we okay hold on all that stuff i'm listening to this Mm -hmm. and it's really depressing (laughs) it is it is and yet for us see here's the thing about women is you relate to each other based on your misery yes it's therapy for us it's our free therapy we call it girl time wow See, this is the reason why some guys have a lot of trouble listening to women talk about their problems. It's also why women-centric movies tend to not do so well at the box office, at least women-centric movies that are realistic in the topics women discuss by themselves. There's little crossover appeal going that route. Sure, women may go see these movies, but men will likely stay home. And that is a factor that studios take very seriously. If men don't go to the movies, that's missing millions of dollars of potential revenue. Now, is it all about the money? Well, 
Money is a good way to gauge popularity with an audience. But what about story? I mean, the Bechdel test can be applied to movies released last year, and Iron Man 3 would pass, but Gravity would fail simply because Sandra Bullock's character doesn't talk to another woman in the movie. Or how about older movies? Citizen Kane and Lawrence of Arabia fail, but Sex in the City passes. Does it mean those movies that fail the test are less relevant to promoting gender parity than Sex in the City? Whose job is it to ensure the right representation of women in these stories? I asked Audrey for her thoughts. Do you think that uh, writers have a responsibility to uh, further progress in terms of gender relations? And remember, you can take gender relations and swap gender out for things like race or sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, do do writers have a responsibility to make sure different stories are told? You're going to hear me probably differ from a lot of my colleagues on that. I don't think that I think that each writer needs to write what they what they do what's what they know them. what's true for them what's accessible for them what they know and I think what that what your colleagues say. My colleagues would say, some of my colleagues might say, well, you have this platform, you have this microphone, do something with it. And, you know, what have you done today to improve, uh, you know, gender parity? Seems like a pretty hefty responsibility to hoist on a writer's shoulders. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it should be avoided. The impact that stories have on the world cannot be understated. For those who are unaware of a particular culture or niche, having a story told about them that is available to a wide audience helps to inform people of that culture's or niche's existence. Most of us live our lives isolated within our own bubble. Sometimes that bubble is self-created, but most of the time that bubble is a product of circumstance, usually geography or income. People who live in the D.C. suburbs probably don't know what life is like for a person living in a village in Niger, or vice versa. Likewise, a man might not know how women talk to each other when not around another man. Because of our lack of knowledge, we rely on stories to help inform us of these dynamics. But here's where the criticism comes from. It's not expected that someone from the D.C. suburbs to have a familiarity with life in Niger even in this day and age. But are we supposed to seriously believe that in 2014, stories of women talking to each other about something other than a man are still few and far between? Why is there still a mystery on how to present stories that feature more than one woman at a time together? I can accept that in the past, women's roles, in fiction as well as in real life, were products of the institutionalized sexism perpetrated by the quote-unquote patriarchy. But today? Come on. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been strong female roles or even scenes featuring more than one woman. But these stories aren't making as much money because they've been pigeonholed into genres that don't make money. When we come back, I'll talk more with Audrey about how to write more roles for women. 
Hey, TV lovers, I'm Buzz Burbank, ready to bring you the best and most comprehensive TV preview ever. I'm telling you, this one sets the standard for all my future previews, and there are great shows on the horizon. New shows have been trickling in since the first of the year, and now that the Olympics are over, prepare for a flood of some pretty great-looking stuff. I'll talk about my own favorites and most of the ones I know you love. I'll review those shows so you know what to expect. I also know when Mad Men is coming back, and I've got dates for all your other returning favorites. Be ready to take notes and to use that jump back button. There are shows coming you don't want to miss, so don't. Start by not missing my 2014 second season TV special. Available now at buzzburbank.com. I can't resist. You usually move through here so quickly, and I just have so many questions I want to ask you. You have no idea what your work means to me. What does it mean to you? That somebody out there knows what it's like to be in here. Oh, God, this is like a nightmare. Oh, come on, just a couple of questions. How hard is that? How do you write women so well? I think of a man, and I take away reason and accountability. I remember one short story I wrote back in a college creative writing class. It was an exercise in descriptive narratives, and I decided to use two people talking to each other to describe the location they were in. It was about the interior of a guy's car, and I used dialogue between the guy and his girlfriend. I received a lot of compliments about how well I wrote the girlfriend, which I thought was amusing because I wrote the girlfriend's dialogue full of a state of constant frustration with her boyfriend. <laughs> it was basically the only way I'd seen girls interact with their boyfriends. Since then, I've taken it upon myself to try and see how women really talk to each other. Unfortunately, by being a man, I'm not privy to conversations that are amongst only women. Therefore, I don't know how realistic the dialogue between Thelma and Louise really is. Is this how women would talk to each other if they were in this situation? Writers write what they know. And because most writers are straight men, most stories will feature a cast of characters that are, by and large, male. Women may be featured in these stories, but they're often there to be a romantic interest for the male lead. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, especially if the story is a good one. But sometimes, in an effort to appear magnanimous, writers will write roles for women that are about being a woman. It can come off as preachy, so most writers will stick to what they know in an effort to make their stories popular. I asked Audrey about that. Do feminists have a, a point in criticizing the way uh, successful art has like what is it fair to take a look at something popular and ask well okay it's popular but where are the women yes and that question is asked a lot not just about female roles but it's even worse when you think about roles for um, lgbt characters arab characters latin american char characters people say well where are the roles for people like that but on the other hand, you think, well, I'm not going to set out and write a story of, you know, a Mexican-American. I don't know that voice. I have a colleague that does, and she writes from that perspective quite often. But if I were to set out and write a piece 
for say, you know, a gay man um, and his female friend, I might get the criticism, but why can't it be a straight man? Why does it have to be a gay man? Okay, well, if it is a gay man, does that mean that the topics have to be about what it means to be gay? Why can't it just be about a man who is gay and his female friend and whatever happens to them that particular day? Why does it have to be about being gay or about being a Mexican-American? So... That's sort of the other criticism that we get is if your characters are that specific, then the struggles that they go through have to be informed by your character choice. Now, in the past 20 years, the landscape has changed. Women are, in fact, more prevalent in movies, as are LGBT characters. House of Cards is a fantastic example of how gender, race, and sexual orientation are qualities that are treated without fanfare regarding all of the characters. Bisexuality is not seen as scandalous so much as sexuality in and of itself. Men are victims of violence as well as women, and the threat of betrayal exists from everyone regardless of character. But is the portrayal of gender, race, and sexuality by House of Cards the reason it's been renewed for a third season on Netflix? No. It has to do with the fact that House of Cards is a well-written political drama, a genre accessible to everyone with an education. It's the genre that matters. We can have as many August Osage counties as you want out there, but the bottom line is that more people are willing to go see other types of movies, and that's where the focus should be. Audrey and I discuss this. Then this is not simply about having a strong role for women, but having strong female roles in genres that are typically male-driven. There you go. You know, think of a Marvel comic or the comic book-based, you know, characters that have been on screen. You have really great, cool roles for women in a show that's really, you know, action-adventure, and it also has the, the appeal of it being based on a... But with action-adventure, having female roles mm -hmm. on... female heroines, mm -hmm. that's a redundancy... Mm -hmm. But having heroines on screen, mm -hmm. saving the day, right. the more that those images are on screen, the more likely it is for audiences of all types to accept that. Right. Prior to, right. I mean, say The Hunger Games was released 50 years ago, nobody would have taken it seriously. Nobody would have taken something like uh, Terminator 2 uh, with Sarah Connor. Right. Seriously, prior to 1985, but because of roles like Ellen Ripley in Aliens oh, yeah. and Sarah Connor yes. and now Katniss. Yes. There you go. Women and men are able to accept and, you know, not question the... I, I wouldn't use the word accept. What I would say is, is, is that they just dig it, that it doesn't matter to them. Well, I mean, there's a lot of men out there that are like really dig you know, great women in great badass roles. No one can deny that uh, Sigourney Weaver character in Aliens is one of the greatest female characters ever written and one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever written. She's 
pretty badass, and uh, I don't think anybody's going to deny that that movie has broad appeal. And broad appeal is what we're going for, isn't it? Bridesmaids succeeded because it used humor conventionally found in guy comedies and transferred them to women. The Hunger Games succeeded because it was an action series done well. The reason it's important to highlight the shortcomings of certain types of representation is to remove the peculiarity or otherness of those people. The more women characters we see in stories, the less unusual it will seem for women to appear in certain roles. When that happens, it's the character that will then be scrutinized and not the matter of whether or not half the population is being proportionally represented in our stories. That's it for this episode of ARC. Special thanks to Audrey Cephaly for joining me and offering her thoughts. Please spread the word about ARC by sharing the Facebook page at facebook.com slash ARCreviews. Subscribe on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Tweet the show at ARCreviews. And of course, shop the Amazon at artsreviewandcommentary.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is ARC. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.